Okay, Joshua, you're a cultural critic, newly employed at Polygon.com, and I know you like music, so what do you think of this? Remy the Ratatouille. That is Remy from Ratatouille. Wow, someone is singing. I praise you, my How can you sing that high? Uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, someone singing about Ratatouille, which, you know, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of a lukewarm reaction. But at the time of recording, this video from a teacher called Emily Jacobson has had nearly 155,000 likes and has been shared more than 18,000 times. But more than that, it spawned more Ratatouille-themed TikTok videos, calls for a Ratatouille musical, and eventually a Disney-approved, star-studded online performance that made $2 million. Yo, that's bananas! It's a little TikTok with big dreams. So we talked to just some of the people who were involved in this incredibly ambitious project to find out how this viral sensation became a fully-fledged Broadway-style musical that was a huge success and helped raise funds for the Actors Fund, supporting actors and other theatre workers who were out of work due to the pandemic. We got to 2 million and 350,000 people, which certainly blew our expectations. It also got approved by Disney but they had to pull it off in just 31 days. Get it done, get it done. There was no time to think. When we get back, we meet some of the dreamers who turned this TikTok fantasy into a reality. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. This is a show about how tech impacts culture and also rats. Right. And the phenomenon of Ratatouille the TikTok musical and the possible effects of TikTok on Broadway in general is particularly interesting to me because, as you know, Joshua, I love a bit of musical theatre. This is something you've never talked about before. That cannot possibly be true. <laughs> <laughs> Surely I've given you a rendition of uh, I Can't Say No from Oklahoma, from when I performed as Ado Annie a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're constantly talking about this. You're like, anyway, uh, you're like, yes, yes, uh, algorithms, GameStop. By the way, I was in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so naturally, I watched Ratatouille the TikTok musical, otherwise known as the Ratatouzical, and I loved it. <laughs> Wait, really? Is that a you pun or is that what they're calling it? That's just, that's what the website is called. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Joshua's like, now I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved it. So I was really excited to talk to some of the people involved. So let's start with the pair who were responsible for adapting the show, Michael and Patrick. Hi, I'm Michael Breslin and I am a playwright and theater maker and performer based in Brooklyn. Hey there, I'm Patrick Foley. I am a playwright, performer, theater maker based in Brooklyn and the book writer and producer of The Ratatouzical, along with Michael. So you're probably wondering, how do a pair of playwrights, theater makers and performers in Brooklyn end up being chosen to adapt a global TikTok trend? 
Michael and I created a show called Circle Jerk that went up in October in Brooklyn and live streamed for around a week. And it drew heavily on TikTok aesthetically, dramaturgically, um, energetically. And in our TikTok exploration, we kept coming across the Ratatouille musical trend. And then the night before Thanksgiving, Greg Noble, who runs Seaview, texts Michael and I being like, have you heard of Ratatouille the musical? Uh, do you think we should try to like bring it to Broadway? And Greg is basically like, great, get me a treatment by the end of the week. So tell me, what does it mean to get someone a treatment or just go about the business of making this musical? So they were kind of like the translators. They had to go through all the stuff on TikTok and figure out what to use and how. So we functioned as executive producers and we also adapted the book from the original screenplay and also from various, you know, social media, TikTok texts that we found. Because on TikTok, there are like a trillion Ratatouille songs. So we sort of sifted through and decided the handful of songs that were that would be logistically possible to use and also really serve the story. So that was one of the first things that we did. One thing I wanted to know was how they made that decision. Like, what gets to make the cut? I mean, there's so much incredible material online, and there are also so many different versions of the incredible material online. So it's also like whose version of the Ratatouille Tango are we using? But luckily, you know, Seaview really helped us to aggregate as me- as much content as we could to sort of winnow down. And then also the the sort of Ratatouille musical TikTok community itself had put forward a set list basically in it, like various different ones. So we sort of drew from from what was presented to us. And Dan was an incredible resource, as was Emily, in in figuring out what had the most musical potential. So basically, if I understand this right, there are just people who, for whatever reason, decided to sing songs on TikTok about Ratatouille. And other people were like, let me do that also. And then it just became this thing, right? Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, obviously so many people got involved with the trend that I guess a big question for me was like, how do you decide which of those people get to be involved with this official production? right? Like who gets their song sung by a real Broadway star, you know? But I guess this is kind of the advantage and disadvantage of social media. Like there are so many people on TikTok and so many of them were participating in this trend. But because of things like likes and shares, there's also a way to figure out what was most popular. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, so it became kind of like a popularity contest like a little bit. Like, uh, Have you been on social media, Joshua? <laughs> Fair. So as Michael and Patrick mentioned, they had some experience with TikTok from their previous show, Circle Jerk. So I asked how they drew from that experience when they were adapting Ratatouille. So Circle Jerk is in three acts and in the final act of that show, the characters sort of get sucked into their iPhones in a kind of way. And it the whole story is told in a triptych of iPhones, um, which is similar to what actually wound up being presented in Ratatouille. So we sort of found this storytelling form that could collage social media posts, this concept of the story where like, you know, people are telling stories on their social media all the time. And also our original text 
And also other viral material from like the history of viral material, you know, like YouTube videos, et cetera. So we sort of created this quilt of content, but it was actually telling one broadly singular story. This is super interesting. I think this is more about like um, just using the form of TikTok. You know, you're having, you're turning something that people usually consume on like a smartphone screen, right? So like portrait, tall and thin, but you want to make it like a production that is going to be streamed on televisions and laptop screens. So you want it to be landscape. So what you do is you put three of them, you know, side by side and you kind of use like the TikTok filters and stuff like that to make it look like give it that TikTok vibe. So Michael and Patrick were clearly the right people to adapt this material, given all their previous experience. But I wanted to know how they found the experience. It was kind of a dream to work on this new work on material that has been created through this new platform that facilitates fan to creator, fan to fan creator to creator collaboration and then sort of like flattens that that kind of hierarchy. I'm not a big theater head, but like my favorite theater experiences have always had like a sense of play to them where, um, you know, naturally it's everything is intentional and and mostly, you know, thought out and, and such, but they give you, I mean, good theater lets you feel that sort of like spirit of like invention where it feels like something's being created for you in real time in the moment. And just sort of like, that's also kind of like what coming across a good string of like TikToks is like, or just like, you know, being online and stumbling across stuff. Uh, it's, it's sort of like, it's like finding a new world for the first time that is uh, very much for you. And those feelings must've been very fun to combine. Right. Exactly. Like that's the thing about TikTok, right? Like everything feels so current. Like it's a, everything's a trend that's happening right now and you're involved in it, but it also feels personally tailored to you because of the algorithm. And like a big thing about TikTok is this kind of collaboration, right? You don't have a trend without multiple people contributing to it. So as you'd expect from something that originated on TikTok, that sense of collaboration was really key to this project. I mean, to work remotely with a team of like over 150 people, probably higher than that, was exhilarating and also terrifying because collaboration was sort of focused around we have this task and it has a deadline and we all need to throw in our hats and figure out how to get it done. And Greg Noble is an incredible project manager and also sort of like dreamer of Broadway. He really is. And we were lucky enough to speak to him. My name is Greg Noble. I'm the CEO of Seaview Productions, uh, the company that was behind making the Ratatouille musical. Greg is basically the person who decided this is happening. I'm going to make this happen. So I asked how he came across the TikTok trend. You know, like so many others, I'm I'm on social media and I was sort of following along as this trend started to bubble. By the time that I was engaging with it, I was late to the party. There was already, you know, 100 million people who were sort of watching and engaging with this. And, you know, I was really curious about what was happening. I just thought it was like deeply fascinating. And more than anything, it was good, though. Like we're, we're, theater, we're a theater production company. We specialize in making Broadway shows. We spend all day with writers. And I was like, this is so much fun and this is silly, but this is like also good. The work they're doing is just great. And 200 million people had engaged at that point with the trend. And I was like, gosh, this is so fascinating. And there's like such so much to learn from this. And I was like, we have to we have to get behind this and, and, and try to do something with it. 
what's cool about this is that uh, there is sustained interest because like a lot of, you know, like you were talking about TikTok, TikTok is so immediate. It's about trends happening now and they don't stick around very long, right? There can be uh, a thing that that is very fun and everyone's doing for like a week and then everyone moves on. But uh, it's really remarkable that Ratatouille <laughs> and songs about Ratatouille have endured long, you know, endured on the platform long enough to pull this off. Yeah, but as far as the making of this thing, the big question now, of course, is... How did he get Disney on board? <laughs> Which, you know, a notoriously chill company. <laughs> right. I was pretty certain it was going to be an impenetrable barrier to just get the rights to do it. But I ended up picking up the phone to a friend at Disney who then connected me to Tom Schumacher, who's head of Disney theatrical group. And I sort of on Thanksgiving Eve, he was in Australia, I was in the States and I pitched him this idea of what if we did this, you know, what if we tried to do something to acknowledge this community and acknowledge the creative contributions that this community has made to this piece of IP and Kind of shockingly, he was like, yeah, it sounds great. I love that. Wow. You just shoot your shot, man. That's, like, <laughs> I admire that. Right. Think of all the things that we all could have done if we weren't so terrified of Disney and their copyright lawyers. And you'll notice from this story that Greg pitched Disney on the day before Thanksgiving, uh, which in 2020 was November 25th. And the show aired online on New Year's Day 2021. That is not a lot of time. Nope. We had 31 days to do the show. We had decided that we were going to do it on New Year's Day. It felt like there was nothing more exciting than sort of birthing this into the world on New Year's Day. And, you know, given the 2020 that we all had, not knowing the 2021 we would start to have, but it felt really important that we put something good and fun and sort of wholesome into the world. But that meant we had 31 days from that Thanksgiving Eve conversation with Tom to, to when we were going to put the show on. We realise that technically from November 25th to January 1st is a little bit more than 31 days, but it's still a really short amount of time. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of, uh, have you ever seen The Great Muppet Caper? No, I haven't. Oh my God. All right. So there's, there's this big musical prologue where it's just called Hey, a Movie. And it's about them literally putting together the movie that you're about to watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and I'm getting that energy here. Yeah, it was uh, challenging, to say the least. <laughs> so I asked Greg to talk me through some of the challenges that this unique project presented. It was hard to get people's attention sort of early on, like the cast members. We were asking them, you know, Broadway legends and frankly, like just culture legends like Wayne Brady and Adam Lampert. We were asking them to sort of record videos of themselves dressed as rats on Christmas Eve and send them in so we could sort of make our deadlines. And so the time frame was was, you know, it usually takes seven to 10 years to make a musical. And we made one in 31 days. And it took a lot of, you know, creating of efficiencies and just understanding the culture in which we were in getting involved, right? Like the culture of TikTok is a whole thing onto itself. And there's a code of ethics when you participate, you know, in that community and any social community that you need to understand that we didn't inherently understand. So it was a lot of education to make sure we weren't making missteps. I think one of our biggest fears was like having the internet come after us. And that was like, that was a really scary idea. Uh, and so we were like, we have to do right by this community and we need to do right by this process. And, you know, that, that started to be the biggest challenge. 
I'm just imagining these guys calling Adam Lambert and being like, hey, can you put on a rat costume and sing? I bet it's not the first time someone's asked him that. <laughs> probably probably not. But like, I tell you what, though, like for all that they were obviously making people um, do things quite quickly, it does sound like they were trying to be ethical about this whole thing. And I think that's good, especially given that they had no idea whether it would even be be a success. Yeah, there's this sort of like mentality when it comes to, you know, people from like more traditional media sort of like coming to something big on digital media, right? Where it's just sort of like seen as something to strip mine and reuse and without any respect for the community there, you know? So it is really cool um, and unfortunately kind of unusual that that they did have this sort of respect for that and uh, what kind of expectations that they had for for working with with all this. Yeah, like I think it's pretty great, especially given they had no idea whether this would even be a hit, right? Like they didn't know whether this was going to be successful at all. At some point, I like revisited the grosses of Ratatouille, the movie, because the movie had come out so long ago. And I remember it being a thing that like we liked, like my generation enjoyed. But I was like, how big was that movie? And I I looked and it was like almost a billion dollars in revenue. And I was like, huh, this is like obviously much bigger than just what's happening on TikTok. And I was like, if we can penetrate like the market of people who don't even know what TikTok is, but just like, like Ratatouille and are happy to just watch this because they like Ratatouille. Like we're gonna, there might be a lot of people who choose to tune into this. We had a really high goal of a hundred thousand people watching and a million dollars. And, you know, we, we got to 2 million and 350,000 people, which certainly blew our expectations. That is incredible. Yeah. And that amount of money is Obviously amazing, especially because it went to the Actors Fund, a charitable organization that supports workers in the performing arts and entertainment. Oh, that's great. I knew that the money was going to charity. I did not know which charity. Yeah, it's, you know, performing arts have been affected more than a lot of other industries by this pandemic. I mean, obviously, a lot of industries have been affected, but, you know, theaters have been closed for a long time, longer than in history, right? And kind of in that context, I wanted to know what Greg thought the ongoing effects of this production would be on the world of musical theatre. I really believe that this is a huge game changer, not our show necessarily, um, although I hope I like to think we're part of it, but the, the platform altogether completely upends, you know, how we think about development. And, you know, if it weren't for this show, there's 12 writers literally across the world who our office wouldn't have a relationship with. And some of them are 17 year olds and, you know, ex state and, you know, people in Australia. It's like we would never have had the opportunity to meet these artists who we have an intention to continue developing new work with and understanding what else they want to do. Yeah, no, it's been really encouraging to see the ways that like the arts in general have have been adapting. There have been ways for performers to get out there, even though stages are closed. And this was like this started by a bunch of like, you know, random people doing TikToks. But now maybe that can mean a bunch of random people can also do something like theater. Yeah, like, you know, I've been singing all my life and I've sometimes had this wild fantasy that one day like a producer or a director or someone will like hear my voice and discover me, you know, like kickstarting a successful career in musical theater. But 
thanks to TikTok, some of these people might actually find themselves living that dream. Yeah, I mean, that's happening more and more. People are doing cool things on social media and getting noticed just because of that. Right. And when we get back, we will hear from one of the TikTok creators whose life has changed thanks to his contributions to the Ratatouille. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. We've been talking about Ratatouille, the TikTok musical. Also known as the Ratatouille. <laughs> right. We heard from Greg, who first got the green light from Disney to make this show, and Michael and Patrick, who were in charge of the adaptation. But when I knew that we were going to do an episode about the Ratatouille, there was one name at the top of my list. My name is Daniel Merksloft. I am a 27-year-old composer and arranger in New York City. Daniel, as you may have guessed, composed and arranged the Ratatouille, but he was also one of the TikTok creators responsible for the viral trend behind it. And he has a familiar story for how he got into TikTok. It goes way back to the beginning of the pandemic when I found TikTok was sort of a place, it was a place of escapism, really, um, because, you know, there was just so much bad news everywhere. And when you open TikTok, it wasn't news. It was just fun little videos. It reminded me of Vine, which I love and I miss Vine. So I, I, I just started uh, consuming content and then I started creating the content um, and doing these musical parodies. So as we've discussed before, my experience with TikTok is mostly other people sending me links or seeing them pop up on Twitter. And that's where I first saw one of Daniel's, this musical theatre parody of a song called New York Summer written by Louisa Melcher. See what you think. All right. Another TikTok. I love clicking on these links because I never know what I'm going to get. Some of my favorite parodies are the ones that also are like sincerely doing what they're making fun of. And I feel like you can only really make fun of a song really well when you like when you love that genre, right? Like when you really understand it. Yep, absolutely. And he 100% does, but he's got that sort of like mischievous quality to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Daniel is in the habit of doing these musical theater versions of other people's songs, and then someone points him towards the video that we played for you at the top of the episode, Emily Jacobson's Remy the Ratatouille. It was Emily Jacobson's video of her singing Ode to Remy. So I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really charming and silly. And it just screamed act to Disney Broadway finale. Like, what a better way to end a show than with the words, may the world remember your name. Like, that just sounds like a finale. So I, uh, I gave it the Broadway treatment, you know, huge vocal arrangement and, uh, and a full orchestra that's all fake. It's all for my computer. But, you know, uh, the French horns and the strings and all that. So I posted that and that's what launched the Ratatouille musical movement because Emily's video was a meme. Um, people loved it. It went super viral, but it was just a meme. No one was talking about it being a musical. And then once I posted my video, it was like, wait, should this be a musical? And that's when all of the extra content started coming up. So basically... Daniel saw a meme 
built on that meme, and then he became the music supervisor, arranger, and songwriter for a full-scale production. That sounds like a totally normal career path. (laughs) Yeah, it's a journey, huh? (laughs) So one thing I've been wondering about this is, what is Daniel's job like? Actually, I can just show you. So here's a song that Daniel wrote for the Ratatouzical called Anyone Can Cook. Let me know what you think. There's a lot of places I could start. The time my dad almost died of rat poisoning and I saved his life. The time the old human... Someone is talking as the music ramps up. Someone. That is Titus Burgess. Well, you know what? I'm just... I'm learning. (laughs) He's the star of the show. Yeah, he's Remy. Okay. That's a great pick. Right next to mine there on the shelf. Don't let a soul try to tell you how to broil or to braise a casserole. As we all know, Ratatouille is not a musical, but this seems like it feels like something that would be in it if it were it was a musical. You know, it's like this very natural fit. I can imagine Remy and other rats just singing this this whole deal here. So so does Daniel just sort of like make up songs based on the movie? So this actually, this song, the original inspiration was by the guy who ended up playing Chef Gusto, Kevin Chamberlain. And then Daniel kind of added the additional material to make it into a full song that would fit within a production. So to give it that sense, like you're saying, that it feels like it would genuinely fit within an actual Broadway show. Oh, that's really cool. But, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And as we have already mentioned, this project came with challenges. I mean, obviously doing it all in isolation was difficult at times, but even more more than that was just how quickly everything came to be, where I, I got the call from the producers on December 4th and the concert was January 1st, like a fully produced concert with a, an album. And like from the first arrangement that I did, uh, it was 13 days until we were in a studio with an orchestra recording. So like we were like working on charts the evening before we were recording with the orchestra. And and it's not like we were like editing things or like, you know, it was like the, they didn't exist. Like we literally had nothing. Um, so it was just the timeline was like so insane where I would do an arrangement or write a new song. It would go to Macy Schmidt, our brilliant orchestrator. Um, she would orchestrate it. It would go to our copyists and our music director, Emily Marshall, who's fabulous. And it was just like a conveyor belt, basically, of like, get it done, get it done. There was no time to think. Luckily, Daniel's prior experience helped him to work to that intense deadline. There was no time. It really it really was just trusting my instincts. And I think that that's also what creates the best art. Like, I know I create my best art when I'm on a deadline. Uh, same. <laughs> But, you know, it's obvious from talking to Daniel that he thinks all of that work was worth it. I mean, the connections that I made from this are like immeasurable. Like that alone is really exciting. And Emily, our music director, and Macy, the orchestrator, I'm obsessed with. And we text every day still. And like, I want to do like everything with them. And the idea of what Ratatouille was is really exciting to me. And the idea of it's crowdsourced, it's, you know, user uh, supported and and it really felt like just a community came together to create this and is there a way that we can take what that is what that represents and you know reverse engineer it basically to create something sustainable that we can actually continue to do that and to continue to create new theater that uses unheard voices and uh, it just in a really exciting way being being able to open up the New York theater door without millions and millions of dollars. 
That's that's huge. You know, uh, one of the things that's great about theater is also one of the things that makes it so hard to get into, which is like there are only so many stages and everyone wants to be on them. So, yeah, TikTok has kind of done some good here, right? And I asked Daniel what he thinks it is about this particular platform that enabled something like the Ratatouzical to happen. There's so many parts of TikTok that really allow something like Ratatouille to happen. And um, the two main ones are the duet feature and then the For You page algorithm. So basically with the duet feature, you can take a video and then you can duet yourself also like performing with that video. But then you also can just use the sound. So a lot of people used my original sound when they were creating this and did like dances to it or talked about like their costume design while the song was playing in the background or like pretended they were a director or in the audience using that sound, which got it out there. Then it's also all about the algorithm on the For You page, which is something that all of the other tech companies really want the code for. Um, And I understand why. And basically, for those of you who don't understand how that algorithm works, there's a For You page, which doesn't require you to actually follow anyone. It only is based on the things you interact with. And that is not just likes. It's likes, comments, when you send it to people, how long you watch these videos. And then like the, the easy version to understand is, oh, you know what? He likes a lot of videos that have a hashtag musical theater. Yeah, we've talked a lot about TikTok's algorithm in previous episodes, but also this duet feature is one that's gotten a lot of attention lately, not just with things like this, but earlier this year, people got really into sea shanties. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is really funny, but also like people spent this last year mostly in isolation and it like singing old-timey whaling songs together was a new way to connect with people using this fun platform that everyone's on right now. Yeah, and one thing Daniel brought up is how the duet feature can make you feel like you're connecting with people that you really admire, right? Like, you know, if a like a performer from one of my favorite Broadway shows sings their half of a song, of course I'm going to want to duet that so that I can feel like I was up there on that stage with them. But it's also really cunning on TikTok's part because it means that people are sharing content because everyone wants to like put their own mark on it, right? Like it's like quote tweeting versus retweeting or something. And yeah, as far as the uh, hashtag musical theater, definitely I am that uh, that kind of person. But obviously, you know, a hashtag alone is not enough to make something this popular. So I asked Daniel why he thought this notion of a Ratatouille musical went viral. Like, was it the popularity of the original movie or the quality of the songs that people were making or just the timing? It's all of the above. I really think it was a perfect storm where if you look at the IP, it is a Disney movie, which obviously, you know, everyone knows it then. It's a Ratatouille, which it came out right in like prime childhood for Gen Z, which is the prime audience on TikTok. It is the middle of the pandemic, which we talked about earlier, which there's no other content that's happening. And then as content was getting put out, it was so good. Like Emily's song was was funny. Like I liked my video as a joke, but then all of these like really, really well-written songs started appearing. So I think it's a combination of all of those things. And then the last thing is just like the story itself. It's an underdog story. You know, like there's no reason that those two characters, Remy and Linguini, should should succeed and they work together. And it's, you know, that's collaboration. And that's what theater is. Just like podcasting, you know, it's it's all collaboration. There is a tiny rat in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> 
telling me what to say right now. <laughs> I mean, given how much hair you have right now, <laughs> feasible, honestly. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it, what do you call it? Like, uh, he is right. And I think he's really onto something in how everyone loves an underdog story, but also like anybody doing anything on TikTok is kind of an underdog story, right? Or at least it feels that way. And that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The thing that I think is cool about this is this idea that the project reflects the messages at the heart of the original movie, like that Ratatouille, the Disney movie, is about like working together and not underestimating people because of where they come from and stuff like that. Yeah. And that the one thing I remember is the, you know, the chef ghost, like anyone can cook. <laughs> <laughs> and that is in the musical. Oh, hell yeah. So what I want to know is what is next, right? Like, are we going to get 101 Dalmatians musical? <laughs> I can't believe that hasn't happened yet. Surely it must have somewhere. <laughs> People just painting spots on their faces. And <laughs> just a song that is like all 101 names, <laughs> like all the colors of uh, Joseph's coat. Oh my God. I hope that we see more of that. And one thing I really love about this is that every person I talked to for this episode made sure to name check like a bunch of other people who were involved. Like everyone was really careful to make sure that they were giving everyone else their due. And it wasn't just like we've talked about the producers and the composer and everything. And obviously there were, you know, there were singers, but there were also dancers and there were, you know, people who role played like collecting tickets and stuff like that on TikTok videos like <laughs> really <laughs> yeah like even they got a little nod in the show like there were there was like a collection of videos at the beginning which included some of that stuff and i just thought that was so cool yeah that rocks i uh love that sort of like we've been talking about before the the collaborative spirit of theater and there's there's certainly like a lot of generosity there. I mean, there there are big personalities, but they everyone knows that like you need more than one person to put on a show. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's the kind of conflict at the heart of theatre, I guess. And, you know, it applies to podcasts too. Like, we couldn't do this alone. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, we do have people that we thank every time because this is a hard thing to do and to make sure it sounds good and gets to you and we are very grateful for all of the people who make this possible do you want to tell us who those people are absolutely wild wild tech is a studio 71 original podcast and a spoke media production it's hosted by me jordan erica weber and joshua rivera you can find us at jordanweber.com and at jm rivera 02 on twitter our producers are reyes mendoza cody hofmockel and janiel kastner with help from trey jones and clay kim this episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Pelstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71, and Aaliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Michael Breslin, Patrick Foley, Greg Noble, Daniel Mertzluft, and Christina Morales for speaking to us. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thanks for listening. Uh, Aaliyah's name is my favorite one to say every every time. It yeah. dances in the mouth, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs>